Bobby, what's wrong with the car? Uh-oh, I think it's broke. Look, that thing there is all smoked up. We, we got a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. We can find out. I think we should just start poking stuff. Oh, all right. All right. don't do that, folks. Tune into the Grease Gurus. Don't go to the emergency room. Go to the Grease Gurus and learn why your car might have stopped on the side of the road and what not to touch. On Saturday mornings from 10 a.m. on the Tan Talk Radio Network. Ouch, that hurt! Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Let me tell you about my company, Gulfstream Motorsports. 727-541-1741. I have over 35 years experience with classic, vintage, sport, and racing cars. I do appraisals, consulting, and pre-purchase inspections. Before you buy your next rare classic, the car of your dreams, give me a call at Gulfstream Motorsports. 727-541-1741. Also, due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I am very good with wrecks. So if your car has been in a wreck, Call me for a diminished value report. Call me at 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for lost value of your repaired vehicle. That's Gulfstream Motorsports, 727-541-1741. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, Wednesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. on the Tantalk Radio Network, AM 1340. The classic VW Beetle was built from 1938 to 2003. During this period, 21,529,464 Beetles were built. It is the longest running production model of any car, and VW claims that it is the best-selling car in history since it did not change substantially during its production run. What changes would you recommend in the design of the Volkswagen? The Volkswagen engine is cooled by air. Can't freeze in winter or boil over in summer. Then he said, Ingrandire il finestrino di dietro. Make the rear window larger. Solamente questo. That's all. Solo questo. That's all. Ever wish you owned a Volkswagen? Volkswagen cuts most gas bills in half. A Volkswagen is never changed to make it look different. Only to make it work better. What is it? It's a 200-year-old Volkswagen. They really built these things, didn't they? Try looking at a Volkswagen this way. It's the only small car with a sealed steel bottom that leaves nothing exposed beneath it. And the VW is built to take a little punishment. As small as the VW is, it's covered with 13 pounds of paint outside and in, even in places you can't see, but which corrosion can find. In fact, the VW is so well put together, it's practically airtight. Now, what other car gives you this kind of quality at this kind of price? The Myers Manx dune buggy rang from the soul of a free-spirited Californian Bruce Myers launched an automotive revolution with his Manx in the 1960s. It was an inexpensive, go-anywhere car that immediately clicked with a generation of like-minded people. Hello out there. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the Wayback Machine. We enter the Wayback and we're immediately hurtled back through time and space. This is Daryl Starbird, the Bone Top King. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. tuned into Nostalgic Reading Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers in Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. We are actually experimenting with Facebook Live. We'll see how this goes. Good evening, uh, Vaughn. How you doing? Hey, Robert. How you doing tonight? Okay, so uh, be prepared. We're going to get phone calls. We're going to get people screaming and hollering because I'm not exactly a real tech-savvy guy. I see my phone's ringing a few times. My son's trying to get a hold of me and tell me to do something. So hopefully everybody's 
okay with it, but uh, we're going to give this a shot because we've actually had requests to do Facebook Live. Now, let me go back to, uh, don't forget to visit our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com. We can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our 411, 412 shows, quite a few now, over the last past eight and a half years, you can go to our archive page. You can hear all those past shows. So we've had some pretty amazing guests. As a matter of fact, we have a pretty amazing guest this evening for you. We have a legendary gentleman coming on. I'm really excited to have this guy come on this evening. He's got some great stories. He's been around for a long time, and he's just, uh, you know, he's, he's legendary. So we'll keep that part a surprise until later in the show. Guess what? Tomorrow's 4th of July. It's Independence Day. So happy 4th of July to everybody, especially everybody that believes in America, like our president, President Trump. So America first, and let's take pride in America. And I hope everybody has a great, great, great 4th of July tomorrow and, uh, and really truly understand what it's all about. My opinion, the Bill of Rights and uh, the Constitution and the Ten Commandments. So, again, hope everybody has a great day. Spend a lot of time with your families. Vaughn, you can do that tomorrow. He's not. Yeah, I think uh, think we might have some day parties. Me and my buddies might go out on the town. I don't even know. But uh, definitely going to have a fireworks show uh, regardless. Okay, well, that's good. Speaking of fireworks, they're supposed to have fireworks down here at Coachman Park. And uh, with a little uh, luck, I think the weather would be pretty decent. So we should be okay. Maybe it'll give us a break. I know they're always shooting firecrackers off over on, in my neighborhood, my neck of the woods over there and in the, the ghetto, Lar ghetto that is. Big shout out to our friends over there at uh, Rip Shack Barbecue. Last Friday, we had kind of an interesting day. They had a uh, company barbecue at Walker Ford, our good friends up there on the US 19. So remember, Walker is Ford. Of course, I'd like to sit there and take that claim myself since I'm a Ford guy. I am Ford. So, but anyway, they had a great barbecue. Uh, big shout out to our friends over there at Rib Shack Barbecue. It was spectacular, and uh, everybody enjoyed it. And again, our good friends over at Walker Ford. So if you need a Ford, that's definitely where you want to go. I've been dealing with Walker Ford since 1974. God, it's hard to believe that long. Actually, one of the kids that went to school with me in my class, Gary Phillips, uh, worked at the parts department at Walker Ford. So, and of course, I had a Ford back in the day. And I used to street race a 72 Ranchero GT. And uh, we used to uh, go to Walker Ford and get parts. And then another friend of mine worked at uh, Carlisle Lincoln Mercury. And uh, so I had to go in there one time because Walker didn't have what I needed. So I went up to Carlisle's real quick. And I became real good friends with uh, Ed Davis, who was the parts manager for uh, Lincoln Mercury dealership there, Carlisle. And uh, he would loan me the... um, Ford high performance parts books. Matter of fact, he was such a high performance parts junkie himself. He had the catalogs that went all the way back into the early 60s. So it was neat to actually look through those. If I knew then what I know now, I would have tried to weasel the copies away from him because he had extras. And uh, I got a few, but I didn't get all of them. So, but they were pretty cool and uh, some some really neat stuff. And um, a couple of things that I think are pretty cool is the if you're into cars, you know, obviously Ford still is number one, particularly with trucks. And uh, but they got this little. Uh, millennial style kind of car and it's a a ford eco sport it's kind of like a small version of a ford escape which is a tiny version of a ford excursion so let you see how that progression goes you got eco sport escape explorer expedition and then of course the mighty excursion and uh, i wish they would have those in fact i was driving mine at the time last friday and it got a lot of oohs and ahs because you know that's the mighty ford f-250 station wagon you know, that's kind of a cool truck. So, And they're getting collectible. They're kind of a cult vehicle now, which is kind of cool. A couple of weeks ago, we had uh, we were in Orlando. I think we talked briefly about that last week. I didn't get to go into detail, but uh, it was a pretty amazing event. The uh, National Independent Automobile Dealers Association had a pretty incredible convention in Orlando. It was a four-day event, and uh, it was very educational. Uh, the connections and contacts and people that I met were pretty amazing. And it kind of gives you a different perspective on dealers. You know, you got to see some of the really, really nice things that a lot of the dealers do. Now, granted, you know, car dealers don't exactly have the best reputation, but they rank above lawyers and politicians. So I will say that and insurance agents. And uh, so car dealers, you know, it's kind of a necessary evil. But I will tell you that the used car business is, is actually doing pretty well. In my opinion, I cannot overemphasize this. I mean, granted, I'm real good friends with a lot of car dealers, a lot of new car dealers and stuff, but it just makes economic sense to buy a car that's six months or a year old, you know, beat that 30% depreciation, which is 
really what it is, what it amounts to. You know, as soon as you drive over the curb and you're down the street and you're burning tires, you know, you, and let's say you decide, ah, I don't like this car after four days, you turn around and take it back, they're going to clip you for 30%. That's just the way it works. And um, so, you know, make absolutely sure. But when you buy a used car, it's already gone through that depreciation, you know, unless the car is rare, unique, limited production, and then you're going to pay a premium for it. So, um, that's kind of how it works in the used car world. But it makes just a lot of sense. And, and again, I'm not saying it's because I'm partial and because I'm biased. Uh, duh, I am. No. Um, but when you, when you look at cars in general, you know, Ford's got a really, really good product out there. They do a, Their quality is excellent. And, and I've even heard this from a lot of guys, reporters, journalists, unofficially off the record. Ford's always been the best made American car. And because uh, they they spend a little bit more, they're not the cheapest cars, but they spend a little bit more and they make a pretty good car. Now, granted, you know General Motors has some nice features and they're pretty decent cars. There's a lot of them out there, you know, particularly Chevrolets. Chrysler, Chrysler's always done real well with styling. I've said this a number of times on my show, but mechanically, they just don't hold up. You know, I mean, I know the guys that run the uh, with the Sheriff's Department and with the Highway Patrol, they run these Chrysler Chargers out there or Dodge Chargers, whatever you want to call them. You know, twenty thousand miles of front end falls out from underneath them. Doesn't happen with the Ford and Chevrolet. Chevrolet's have front ends problems, stuff. So you know, it's a lot. To, it's, it's engineering, you know. And unfortunately, the manufacturers are trying to all compete. So naturally, they're cutting corners. You know, I mean, granted, technology and stuff like that's made these cars much better. They stop better. They ride better. You know, and 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 the motors are good for a couple hundred thousand miles nowadays. You know, back in the old days, you got seven, eighty thousand miles on it. You're probably looking at a rebuild. The quality of materials, the tolerances, all this stuff is better today. And um, but the rest of the car is what you got to worry about. And of course, here's the other thing you have to deal with is the computers. Computers, you know, when they start going bad, if that vehicle's out of warranty, and again, I cannot overemphasize this. When those cars are out of warranty, time to get rid of it. It's time to move on. You know, they're not simple to fix like in the old days when you had a carburetor and a distributor and uh, you know points, plugs, and simple things like that, and a, and a real coil. You know, not coil packs. Think about that too, you know. And then you don't need to buy a really elaborate car, you know. Buy something that's got a good track record. And now we've got a couple of Ford executives from uh, product design and product development and product engineering from Ford Motor Company coming on in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be talking about um, what the manufacturers are up to, as far as you know, where you know, with with electric cars, for example, or hybrids, or with. Um, Changing the production line, you know, the rumor on the street is that Ford's not going to be making that many passenger cars anymore. They're going to go predominantly into um, trucks and SUVs, and that's where the market is. You know, there was a guy on on TV not too long ago, and his name's Mike Jackson. I'm not exactly in his fan club, but he's like the head of AutoNation. And so I, I, I took it as a hypocritical remark from him. You know, here's a guy that rides around in a big, giant, fancy SUV and, and all these high-dollar exotic cars. But yet he thinks we, the people, should be driving around little eco boxes and we should be paying 7 8 $9 a gallon for gas. And I got a real problem with that. And, uh, you know, so we're going to get him on the show and we're going to have a real spirited conversation with him when he comes on, you know, if he accepts the invitation. So the invitation is out there. So we'll see what happens. Because, uh, you know, you got to look out for the consumer. In fact, that gets into another issue. We're going to have uh, another person on the show here, a stockbroker slash commodities expert. We're going to have him come on the air because I take issue with uh, food, fuel, you know, things that are I would consider as necessities. I kind of have an issue with those being used as commodities, you know, gasoline, you know, it's running up, it's running down. You know, it's because speculators are getting in there gambling with it. And they're kind of gambling with stuff that, uh, like I said, these are necessities. These are essential items that we need. We need fuel. We got to be able to get to work economically. And, and 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 let me digress again. And where I'm going with a lot of stuff is when you look at the cost of living. In fact, recently there was an article in the Orlando Sentinel, I believe it was, and it said something to the effect that the uh, cost of living, rent, and things of that nature are far exceeding the pay scale, the pay pace. In other words, so it's costing more to live again than what people are making, you know, as a living, you know, as an hourly wage. So we, all these issues we're going to be talking about here in the, in the next couple of months, and not to mention we're going to be setting up for the big, big, big Monterey Collector Car Week, which is coming up in July. No, excuse me, end of August. So we're looking forward to that. Now, I think what we're going to do, we're going to throw something on the uh, turntable here in a minute because we got a little music for you, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about our other stuff, and then we're going to invite our guests on the show. So uh, you're tuning into Nostalgia Creating Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back. <laughs> Foot two, eyes of blue, but oh, what those five foot could do. Has anybody seen my gal? Turned up nose, turned down hose, flapper, yes sir, one of those. Has anybody seen my gal? 
Now if you run into a five-foot-two covered with fur Diamond rings and all those things Bet your life it isn't her But could she love, could she woo Could she, could she, could she coo Has anybody seen my gal? Aluminum bumpers, 
eh, they're kind of you know they're still within uh you know fourteen fifteen thousand dollar range you know and then when you get into the mid 70s 75 76 77 78 79 80 81 Camaros and Firebirds, those are still pretty good old cars. You know, they're relatively simple to work on. Tons and tons of parts available. You go to our friends right up here in Orlando, in, uh, Orlando. Ocala, and uh, go see my friends up there at National Parts Depot. And uh, they've got everything for Camaros, for Firebirds, for Ford Broncos, for Ford trucks, for uh, I think they got Chevelles. I think they got Pontiacs. They were getting into Fox Body Mustangs. In fact, I'll tell you what, for the generation is about 10, 12 years younger than me, the Gen X guys, you know, they grew up in through the 80s and stuff. The Fox Body Mustangs are coming on real strong. I had no idea that they're as collectible as they are. One of my favorites is the uh, 1990 LX, and it's a uh, green one with a white interior and white top, and it's uh, kind of affectionately referred to as the 7-Up Edition because the uh, green looks like a 7-Up bottle. And those come in 5-speeds and automatics. 5-speeds naturally are more valuable. Stick shift cars in general are always more valuable. Factory ones naturally. And then even if you convert one, you know, just uh, there's a bigger market for those cars. So just keep that in mind. But, you know, hey, look, you know, you can buy a four-door sedan. You can buy a station wagon. You can buy anything, whatever floats your boat. And uh, so if uh, I don't have a lot of stuff in stock right now, I got a couple projects left. I got a 74Z28 that needs a home. I got the 16 foot Taylor SS speedboat that needs a home. I've got a Honda Matic that needs a home. The 65 Comet be kind of a cool old gasser. And, uh, and then I got a 65 uh, convertible Mustang, which uh, I've had for a long time. It's factory four speed 289 four barrel car. Be kind of a cool project for somebody. So I got a few projects left. It's just me, myself, and I. So kind of hard to work on project cars. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start buying some uh, vintage drivers. And uh, as a matter of fact, today I was over in Tampa and I was looking at a, let's see, 1980 Porsche 911 Targa. It's a nice little car. I'll post that up on my Facebook page. In fact, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Well, I'm not sure we're not real active on Instagram yet, but Twitter we are. And, um, and obviously on our uh, website. I think what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and fire up the turntable again. We're going to play. Now, keep in mind, the gentleman that's coming on the show is an elderly gentleman, but he's very refined. But we're playing music that would be conducive to his era and stuff that he likes. So keep in mind, all our shows are always tailored to the guests. So I hope you enjoy the, the variety that we do. Sometimes we play rock and roll. Sometimes we play 80s uh, hair bands. Sometimes we play some psychedelic music. And sometimes we play some classic music, and we play some swing on occasion. So, hey, you're tuned to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that dial. We will be right back. <laughs> Start to play, dance with me, make me sway Like the lazy ocean hugs the shore Hold me close, sway me more Like a flower bending in the breeze Bend with me, sway with ease When we dance you have a way with me Stay with me, sway with me other dancers may be on the floor Dear, but my eyes will see only you Only you have the magic technique When we sway, I go weak I can hear the sound of violins Long before it begins Make me thrill as only you know how Sway me smooth, sway me Sand dune buggy. Uh, I helped him design it, so I'm kind of proud of that. 
Uh, what it is, it's set on a Volkswagen chassis with great old wide weenies, big wide tires on a mag wheel, Corvair engine stuffed in the back, and semi-reclining position, somewhat like on a uh, Formula One car. Uh, it's very light, you know. I think we're running about 230 horses, and then the vehicle weighs about 1,000 pounds. And what I've got to do is to take a sand dune buggy and drop it straight down. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Uh, thank you there, Mr. Jay Leno. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I am delighted to welcome to the show this evening the father of the Myers-Manx fiberglass dune buggy, the very first fiberglass dune buggy ever to hit the beaches and the sands of Southern California, Bruce Myers. Bruce, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. So how did it all begin for you? Why don't you uh, kind of fill our listeners in a little bit on uh, how you got bitten by the bug, how you got hooked on cars, and then up to the evolution of the uh, Myers-Manx dune buggy. Well, I'm, I'm kind of old. I'm 92 years old now. So uh, I started way back with the dry lakes uh, in Southern California, SCTA. That was the, uh, time, the Southern California Timing Association. I never was active in that. I just used to go to it. I was only 17, 18 years old. And then I went into service uh, during World War II, after which uh, I had my share of, well, 32 Roadsters and 29 A's and all that stuff and all the good ones, you know, the three-window coupes. You'd never dream of screwing around with a five-window coupe or a two-door sedan or a four-door sedan. Everything else was three doors or a Roadster or maybe a Victoria. But uh, today, they anything they can find, they want to seem to make a street rod out of it. That's not the way it was when I was oh, back there in my early 20s or so. But then later in life, I, I got messing around with boats, and I spent a lot of time on the ocean and the sea. And so uh, I, I rode up in a place called Newport Beach. It's the kind of a deluxe uh, yachting center in Southern California. And uh, I spent several years tooling fiberglass sailboats, that is lofting uh, from loftings on on the lofting floor up into a full-size mock-up from which you polished it and fiberglassed it and uh, made it ready to make a mold and then you made molds and you had to frame the molds and a lot of mechanical stuff there and after which it's about a year later when you get like a 40-foot boat uh, to be produced and so I spent four years doing that for Jack Jensen of Jensen Marine and Bill Lapworth, a very famous naval architect. So that whole experience was really where it led me to the fiberglass dune buggy. I wasn't uh, messing around. I had a Porsche, I believe, a 356 Porsche, and I, I, I liked cars, but I, I wasn't really hung up on the car side of the world. It was more on the boat side of the world. But... Uh, I guess I went to the sand dunes and saw the sand rails. I went to Pismo Beach and I saw some more sand rails and old, what they call water pumpers. They were the uh, the sand rails of that time. They were made from Fords and Chevys and Plymouths, usually cobbled together by the farmer in a backyard. And horrible welding, ugliest <laughs> thing, but they were a lot of fun. So the fun part of it was something that I had to uh, gather up. I, I spent a lot of years in art schools. I used to teach figure drawing. That's naked girls, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> and anyway, my drawing ability was a part of drawing is learning about proportions. Proportions are what you create great architecture or automobiles, for that matter. And uh, when you learn something like that, it's so esoteric. That's a word that means that only a few people know what the hell you're talking about. The rest of the world wouldn't know what you're talking about. If you're talking about uh, Michelangelo or Picasso, well, they'd think you're nuts. But <laughs> that's, I came up with that kind of um, sensibility. When I, when I created the fiberglass dune buggy, I had just been to these 
places where I saw sand dune cars, but there wasn't any street labor. Work. There was was a few, possibly, uh, seen around on the streets, and they're always handmade over steel tubing frames, usually a Volkswagen floor pan, uh, using aluminum skin over the tubes, which, of course, is more like you can't just wrap a piece of aluminum around something unless you do it like origami, which is a simple term. But uh, anyway, because of my fiberglass tooling experience, I saw everything that way. I was easily driven to figure something in more of a sculptural, something I could do with, by making a plug and then a mold and then a park. That's the parlance of the fiberglass world. Is a plug is a mock-up from which you make a mold. You throw the plug away. Now you shine the mold all up, and you produce fiberglass parts out of it. So I, I created the first fiberglass dune buggy. Uh, that car is today 54 years old. It's sitting right outside here in my warehouse. Uh, that car was also the very first car to uh, get messing around in Baja. I have a book called Bruce Myers' Call to Baja. It's all about the beginning of off-road racing. I'll send you one. How's that? That's beautiful. I just want to say, apparently, not only is it 54 years old, but apparently it's 54 years old to the month, because apparently when I was reading, you uh, introduced the Mars Max Noon Buggy in July of 1964, correct? Oh, my goodness. You you know that better than I do. I think you're right. Go ahead. So happy happy birthday to the uh, Myers Max 54 year, almost to the date. You know, that that particular car is one of a very handful, a very small, maybe 12 or 14 cars that are in our Library of Congress. Uh, automobiles in the Library of Congress are very unusual. The, uh, uh, you know, Library of Congress was President uh, John Adams, I think, back in 1800, and they decided to start gathering all the right books. Well, then they got around to all the great birthplaces of oh, uh, battlegrounds and... Uh, various buildings and, and uh, historic sites all across our country. And only recently they decided, let's get some automobiles out of this thing. So Old Red, that very car you just talked about, is one of those handful of cars. I think there's 12 or 14 cars. And so Old Red is, uh, I, I'm very proud to tell you that it's uh, up there with a the few. So does that mean it's destined to be in the Smithsonian someday? Why not? I think I so. I think it's a milestone car, and it's all American. Well, it's you know people blame uh, the dune buggy as being part of the California culture, Southern California especially. I'm an old beach boy. I was a surfer, and I I shaped the very first surfboards, and glass the very first surfboards made out of foam and balsa wood and all that stuff. So I I, I go back a long way in the beach culture. I was a lifeguard, and. Uh, when I went in the service in World War II, I wound up on the um, Bunker Hill, a uh, great big aircraft carrier, which was, I was a, a gunner. I shot down kamikazes. I did that for six months until finally the kamikazes got us. And I wound up jumping over the side and swimming and all that. Uh, anyway, that's uh, the hero part of my life. I spent three weeks pulling bodies out of air shafts and vents and uh, places where they were burned on the ship. And uh, anyway, that's a sad story. Have you ever seen 50 or 60, 70 men volunteers? I have. And it was very sad. But uh, going away from that, I came back to uh, the beach and my lifeguarding uh, world and all of that, surfing and so forth. The car, the dune buggy, is, uh, they say, a part of all that. It's uh, It certainly looks it. One of my oldest uh, friends was a, a surfboard builder. Bing Copeland was a Myers Banks dealer in those days. He sold surfboards and Myers Banks's. We had, uh, at a time, there was a factory with 60 or 70 people um, outside of Los Angeles in, in a place called Fountain Valley. It had uh, 60 or 70 people and about 20 different molds. I could produce uh, 25 kits a day. I had 200 dealers across the country and across both oceans. And uh, all of that led to uh, anything that's that popular. We built over 5,200 and some odd uh, kits 
it, it was a it was a time of huge uh, uh, happiness. The guys in Hollywood didn't miss it. You know, they had Steve McQueen jumping with Faye Dunaway and with uh, all, all all sorts of movie stars. There was half a dozen movies with Banks in them uh, because all of a sudden it was popular and it was, I guess, uh, to a movie. Uh, producer, that's important. But uh, all of a sudden, um, my patent um, was taken away from me because somebody claimed that I copied them, which is ridiculous. How the hell can you copy something that never existed before? But here I am. Uh, I was so pissed. <laughs> about 20-some years, I was upset and angry. We were invited to a, a gathering in France of the 25th anniversary of the Fabregas Dubai on the shores of Europe. And uh, we went to the Le Mans racetrack, and there was thousands of Volkswagens. There was a Volkswagen gathering. And uh, they had a real Myers Banks for me, and he wanted me, my host wanted me to uh, lead the parade around the Le Mans racetrack. And the first couple of 300 were Fabregas Dubai's, mostly copies of, of my car. And I said, I'm not telling you those guys anywhere. They're not my friends or my enemies. They put me out of business. And he said, wait a bit, you got to stop and change focus. He said, you know, you're, you're thinking about the guy that screwed you. What you really should be thinking about is the fact that every buggy everywhere, anywhere in the world has two smiling faces in it. Now only think of the faces, stop thinking about the guy that screwed you. You're not going to change it either yesterday. Yesterday is dead. He says, there's a canary that's in his cage. He's covered. He's quiet. Uncover him and he starts saying to the sunshine coming through the window. Meanwhile, yesterday's newspaper is on the bottom of the cage. While he's singing, he's crapping on yesterday. <laughs> and so I did. And, you know, it changed my life. And I, I, I came out of my anger after 23 years of anger and became this guy that was happy. And in fact, I was so good that I, I allowed all my enemies, those other doom buggies, into our club that we created called the Banks Club. It's not about Myers Maxis, it's about the fiberglass doom buggy. The club has now got over 5,000 members in it. We have a half a dozen runs all over the country every year, which uh, my wife, Woody, and I go to. So that's my success story. You might call it my sermon. So okay. that's the good side of my life. I'm, I'm not pissed anymore. Well, you know, it's interesting because when you talk about that and in in, in your, uh, let's just say, the patent or trademark or copyright or whatever, Carol Shelby went through the same thing with the Cobra. You know, that was kind of his original deal. And, and, and Shelby and probably Vic Edelbrock and a lot of those guys, they were contemporaries around your time back in those days, back in the early 60s. Now, I'm from Northern California, and we used to travel up and down. In fact, I was just telling your wife earlier, Winnie, that we used to go to San Diego and Oceanside all the time, Newport Beach, um, down there, and then up around La Jolla and everything. like. So I know that area real well. And it was not uncommon to seeing dune buggies. Or when we would go to Palm Springs, we'd go via Bakersfield, and when you're going down Bakersfield, you're out in the middle of the desert, and all you see was dune buggies, rail buggies. I mean, you know, you could take so much credit for that and 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 just like you said you know i mean you're the father of the fiberglass dune buggy and you created you created a phenomenon so you know we all salute you we're grateful for it and uh when's the next time you're coming to florida to hang out with a bunch of the dune buggy guys down here you know we have a club all over the country and we just have a couple of people from florida that are looking into coming into one of our other club events back in north carolina i believe mm-hmm. or in uh, we're going into What's the one Winnie up in? Uh, You're doing Tale of the Dragon, aren't you doing something up there? Yeah, uh, and so they're going to come along from Florida and look in to see the way we do things and go down there and start a chapter in Florida. So that's on the horizon. Okay. Let's go. Well, now that I was going with that in that direction, you apparently go to a lot of venues around the country. So you're there, you know, you're meeting people, autographing cars, and sharing in the in the excitement of and the ownership of uh, fiberglass dune buggies, and the well, Myers Mac. More importantly, it's, it's thank you for you know that's you've heaped it on me there. I don't really feel like that, but you know, uh, when you if you become a celebrity, forget it. Don't act like one. It's, it's, it's all about, don't use the word, uh, you know, being humble. That's, if you use it two or three times, the humility goes away. <laughs> so you, you have to be a cool guy just to, uh, yes, I do sign a lot of autographs. I sign, in fact, we make dune buggy kits today, and my wife runs that company. 
and uh, I, I sign the dashboards that go out in boxes, and I often sign the cars. I drive the cars in here, or gatherings, I sign the cars, and I sign their T-shirts, and I sign their foreheads and their elbows. <laughs> and, oh, God. And, and, and uh, we were over in Europe in uh, Holland, and a girl just took her T-shirt and threw it up in the air, and I signed her boobs. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so nothing sacred. That's good. All fair and no. all fair and game. <laughs> well, I, I feel good about all of this, and of course, uh, uh, we'd love to see it uh, get bigger, even with the uh, the Banks Club. The, the club we just came back from one called the Middle America. It's in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. We just this last week, and uh, got home just night, two nights ago. And it's uh, it's becoming a sweeping thing across the country. I I find it really more like a big love affair. You know, the the the, the crazy thing about it is that it's of all the cars. If you want to be a car guy and join a club, all those cars come out of factories, but not the buggy. It comes out of your garage, comes out of your own hands. So there's something unique. I suppose you might say that about a Cobra, but. Carol Shelby, he was a friend of mine. He had a Manx. How about that? Oh, great. So I, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you what happened. He's uh-huh. gone now. But uh, uh, I think the Manx uh, is a great big love affair, especially with the mom and the dad, especially the boys. You know, this men have walked up to me in the last 50 years countless times to shake my hand for keeping his son out of trouble. His son was probably in the bedroom of smoking a little grass or something. But he had a picture of a bitch in Dubai. Look at this, Dad. Dad saw what he had to do, and he went off, and he purchased himself a kit and the old Volkswagen, which then was cheap and uh, clean and, and still rust-free rust and oily. Today they're not. But uh, so what? All that stuff is being replaced, and everything is available. Now our buggies don't have just Volkswagens. A Corvair you mentioned is common enough. Uh, uh, the Subaru is getting uh, a lot of play as the Ecotec. So the Volkswagens, of course, they're, they're a lot more powerful than they were a long time ago. But there wasn't any market or aftermarket when I started all this. So we, we had to just play with what we had, which was a stock Volkswagen, which actually does a lot of more work than you can believe. It's a, it's a better car on a dirt road than a lot of other cars. Uh, the, the off-road racing that uh, I became a part of uh, was the ha- first half a dozen cars in off-road racing were all Myers Maxes except for one, and that was a, a Nash Rambler. Thank God it was a Nash Rambler because that was a message that oh, I can borrow Grandma's car and go racing. I think a lot of kids have a a mind to dream on being a race driver, and off-road racing allows that to happen. He he doesn't have to be rich or have a lot of money. He can go out there with a Volkswagen and get into it and have a lot of fun. So all of that is something that, that came along with the Manx and uh, the history of, of the, the thing is all about uh, the Myers Manx as being a big player in those early days. So let's, to, for, from the historical standpoint, so you basically, with a, a group of your friends, created the 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 pre-Baja 1000, right? So you guys ran you know, from south of Tijuana down along the Baja there, the Baja Peninsula. Today the race is called the Baja Thousand. That's the Nora. Okay. Pardon me, that's not the Nora. That's the uh, the score international. That's where you start from Ensenada and you race all day and all half the night until you get to the other end, which is La Paz. The Nora race is, is a rally where you race from 6 in the morning until 6 at night. Okay. And then every night there's a party in that place, wherever that is, in each village. They do that for four or five days until they get to the other end. And there's a huge bash at the other end. So that's the one that's really quite popular. That's where we go to. We have a lot of stuff going on there. But before all of these organized races, I call them wheel-to-wheel races, there was only the elapsed time records, or ET records. Um, Motorcyclists are the guys that started in 1962. In 63 and 64, they tried to beat their old record, and, and they all only lowered it by eight minutes. Well, I was told by my dear friend Ted Mangles, he says, I think we can beat those bikes with a buggy. And I said, I don't think so. He says, no, think of it this way. Let's pretend, and we've been there an awful lot, 
into Baja. And uh, he says, divide the roads into one, two, and three cars of speeds like 10 miles an hour, 20 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, whatever. And take the map and go from top to bottom. And there you go. You've just done it in about 30 hours by just adding up all these guess that speeds. And sure enough, we beat the bikes feasibly by 10 hours. So I'll be damned. That was on a Monday night that he tells me that. On Tuesday, I went out in the in the garage and started messing around with things. And on Thursday, we went and did it. Three days of prep. And we drove down there on a feasibility run and broke the record by over 10 hours. Just feasibly. Then we had to turn around on the pause and then set the record. And so we had to get the Mexicans to... Uh, to verify it and all that. And so we, we managed to do it. The Mexicans weren't in their offices. The guy at the police desk didn't know who we were. <laughs> so we lost almost three hours after we got to Tijuana coming back up north. And we, but we set the first record down. My wife, Shirley, worked at Road and Track Magazine at the advertising desk. Uh, the Bonds, John and Lane Bond, were very, very sweet people. And they had been watching what I'd done with the Manx. And they said, what do we advertise to the world about it? So they set out a press kit. Now, a press kit for road and track is a big deal because they do every automotive manufacturer, every uh, advertising man of all those different companies, every car magazine in the world, every editor of every car magazine, every guy that wrote articles about cars, 120 or 30 people. So they sent out this thing that says, Buggy Beats Bikes in Baja. Oh. And, you know, it just made the phones ring off the hook. And that's where it started. I, I got together with Ed Perlman. We had the very first gathering, and I said, I don't want to be a part of it. I'll help you. Ed Perlman started NORA, National Off-Road Racing Association. I have the very first trophy for off-road racing for that setting that record, hanging on my wall here in the office. So next time you're in California, why don't you come and meet us, and I'll show you that trophy. I would love to do that. I would love to take you up on that offer. Now, there's a, we got a couple minutes left. Real quick. Okay. The name Manx. Now, I know the story, and I know where the name come, came from. Why don't you go ahead and share it with our listeners? <laughs> Let's see if you're right. Um, my wife, Shirley, uh, I was working on the banks, and the, the guys of the staff at Road and Track had been in my shop and saw what I was up to. And so one day, Shirley went to the office. There was, I think, 30, 33 people at Road and Track, and she went all around and said, Bruce wants to put a name on that thing. And so they came up with various names. Four times the word Manx appeared on a piece of paper. At the end of the day, I, I went up to the office and uh, Elaine Bond said, looks like the word Manx is your name. She says, it ought to be Myers Manx. I said, no, 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 Elaine. I'm a little too shy for that. She says, no, it'll be good for you someday. Isn't that pathetic? And so that's the way the name was born. Was it, the editors and, and staff people of Road Track Bay magazine had a little contest so that was the way it came out interesting interesting now i just want to give a shout out to a gentleman by the name of aaron aaron is uh, a local car guy here but he has not one i believe he has two myers manx and how this whole thing came about and why i wanted to get you on the show which i wanted to get you on a long time ago but more importantly more recently was he shows up at one of our little car events he's got a very very early car and from and he was giving me a complete education i took numbers of pictures i actually posted on our facebook page and i guess some of the really really early cars that you built didn't have serial numbers on them and we were talking about it but there was unique things about your myers manx how to identify that now i know we don't have a lot of time to go into that but um, I, I just wanted to mention that real quick because I know he's listening tonight. Okay. And um, well, go ahead. Very quick, very quickly. The first twelve cars were called monocoques. They weren't on a Volkswagen chassis. And you know, the people came. What they were drawn to was the look of it. It was cute. It looked like fun. It, it had a lot of message that said fun. And, but I realized that not putting it on a, a floor pan was costing more money, and, and the price could be brought down by just getting rid of that area, and I took it all apart and started all over again. It, I think 13 weeks later, I had the Manx that is now on a floor pan. And so that's where it all came from. Okay. Those first ones were called monocars. They're very rare. Okay. There's only seven of them, I think. Go ahead. But anyways, no, but he, so he had one, and I, and I was just very impressed with it. In fact, I was, I've always kind of wanted – that's on my list of cars to get. Now, real quick, there was a picture that I saw on the website or on the Internet someplace, and it shows some Meyer Manxes in the background, but it also shows a – uh, I'm going to say a, a late 50s Porsche 356 because so it only shows the front bumper. So you had a 356, and I'm a 356 guy, by the way. So oh, yeah. was your was your car like a late 50s 356 that you had back in the day? 
I had a 57 in the beginning. Okay. And I got a better one, a 61. Okay. And I sold that car for $3,000. That's the car that financed Myers Banks. Oh, really? No kidding. So there's a direct connection with 356s. That's great. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. you got to look at the layout, where the weights are, the, the battery, the spare tire. All these things are part of that thinking that came from the 356 Porsche because they're very similar in, in length. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, because you, you had to shorten the Volkswagen, too. What, 14 inches or so? 10, 14, something like that? That's right. That's right. Okay. Porsches are about uh, 8 inches shorter than a, than a stock Volkswagen, but uh, it, they're very similar, yeah. That's okay. the whole point, is to make them short so they have more traction and more hand. They're easily driven off-road. They climb over logs and rocks and all that stuff by being short. Longer ones don't do that as well, see? So it's it's all about more more uh, attraction and uh, flotation okay good and then i think we have well, like one minute left but you also have which is my other favorite car you have a direct connection with ford motor company so uh-huh. go ahead and say that real quick i think you got 30 I, I seconds I, I, I built a toad and uh, the toad had a v4 ford industrial that's a half of a v8 and uh, i had it in there just for fun and monkey notes and Saw that somehow in a magazine, I guess, and he ordered one. And I built him one. It was very pretty. It's it's in this book I mentioned. Okay, uh, I'll send you a book. How's that? Absolutely, I, I look forward to. It. And your father used to work for Ford Motor Company. My father put in the first Ford dealerships. He, he was my dad was a, a riding mechanic in Indianapolis uh, way back in those days, and he knew Henry Ford and Chevrolet and all those guys, and they were all hung out, hanging out together around the racetrack, and so. My dad and two other guys talked Henry into not selling them anymore on, on the railroad sightings. Why don't we sell them in dealers? So he gave the other guys Canada and Mexico and gave my dad the United States. And my dad spent a year crossing the United States from town to town with my family, sister, mom, grandma, and all that. And uh, he put in four dealerships, yes. Wow, that's great. All right, Bruce, we are out of time. We're up against the clock. But here, what I want you to do one more time is tell everybody about how they can find out about you and about your book real quick. Well, my book is Bruce Myers' Call to Baja. And then and then your website? My wife will have to tell you my website. Okay. Winnie, are you there? I'm here. Okay, the website. What information real quick? MyersMax.com. MyersMax.com. Okay. Well, super. Well, Winnie, thank you for coming out for a second or two. Bruce, I want to thank you very much. Again, to my listeners, I want to thank my very special guest, the father of the fiberglass dune buggy, the Myers Manx, Bruce Myers himself, the legendary man. Hey, all my listeners, I want you to tune in here every Tuesday night on the Tantalk Radio Network between 7 and 8 p.m. to listen to some of the most legendary and fascinating or fascinating and legendary people in the motorsports world. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter. I want everybody to have a super, super, super fun. 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. Hey, I want to see you at some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WTCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen. Hey.